Hi, my name is Mitchell Earl, author of Don't Do Stuff You Hate. And if you want to learn to define your best life and have the courage to live it, you should be listening to the More Than Corporate podcast with my good friend, Amber Furman. Welcome to the More Than Corporate podcast, where we discuss finding fulfillment, defining success, and living your best life. There's no roadmap to success, no one-size-fits-all answer to fulfillment. I believe it requires us all to be vulnerable and authentic about what we want to accomplish and have the courage to step out of our comfort zone to chase our dreams. Keep listening to hear stories from inspiring people who make it their mission to live their best life every day. Welcome back to another episode of the More Than Corporate Podcast. Today I have an awesome conversation with Mitchell Earl. Mitchell is COO of Discover Praxis, a startup boot camp and job placement program for entrepreneurial young professionals who want more than college. He's the author of Don't Do Stuff You Hate and regularly writes about how he got hired without experience, as well as about trends in the future of work, technology, and careers. Previously, Mitchell was director of marketing at Crash, a career launch platform and chief of staff at Ceteris, where he helped scale a team from 20 to 150, five times revenue, and raise over 20 million in venture capital. He's radical about creating a better future and helping others do the same. Follow him on Twitter for more at Mitchell Earl. I'm super excited to jump into this conversation. Really quickly before we do, if you or anyone that you know has ever said the words, I'll be happy when, I just need to keep, insert whatever you want here, losing weight, working hard, building my career, and then I'll be happy. If you've ever felt like you've done everything that you're supposed to do, yet life isn't turning out the way that you expected, and it seems like something's missing despite others telling you how successful you are, then the Define Your Life Mastermind is for you. The worst thing about tying your version of success to this external I'll be happy when moment is you just might hit it. And that's what happened to me in 2016. One of the most important questions anybody ever asked me was, what does success mean to you? And as I've explored this topic on my podcast and with my coaching clients, it's become clear that most people don't ask and answer this question for themselves enough. The Define Your Life Mastermind is designed to help you get clear on what success means, what a well well-rounded life looks like and what your best life feels like. Once you know that, you can build a business that fits into the life that you want to have. Surround yourself with people who give you the comfort to step out of your comfort zone and live that vision. If this sounds like something that you or someone that you know needs in their life, head over to the defineyourlife.morethancorporate.com. For more information, you can schedule a call, see if we're a good fit to work together, and we can start getting you that clarity in your life that you need to be able to to live the life you've always wanted. I look forward to speaking with you. And without further ado, let's jump into this conversation with Mitchell. Mitchell, thank you so much for coming on with me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I am super excited to have you here. Let's go ahead and start by letting everybody get to know you a little bit. Let's go back like high school age. What did you want to be when you grew up? That's the million dollar question. (laughs) I think that 18-year-old me would be a little bit shocked by who I am today, just just completely alarmed by where I'm at and, and not in a negative sense, but I was that high-achieving kid that knew exactly what I wanted from like age six. I knew at age six, I read a book called Gifted Hands by Dr. Ben Carson. He's a pediatric neurosurgeon. He worked at John Hopkins and that was it. I'm going to be a neurosurgeon from like age six. <laughs> I was that nerdy kid that read all the books and was just like, got to get straight A's and learn everything 
And I had my entire life until I got into college. And that's where everything just crumbled beneath me because the first time in my life where I realized I, I don't have a plan. This isn't actually what I, what I want to do. But the reason that I fixated on it is because it was the most prestigious thing that I could think of. It was the thing that nobody would ever question me on. And it was something that, that was a life template for me to follow. And I'd always been really good at following the rules, checking the boxes, figuring out how to get a straight A until I got out in the real world. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm terrified. I don't know what I want to do. And I don't know how to tell people that. And so I've got to latch onto these, you know, really lofty sounding things. Dude, I, I feel like you're telling my life story right now. Like there's <laughs> so much that's the same, but I'm just laughing at the fact that you like skipped over like every six-year-old's dream of like firefighter and policeman and like all this stuff. And you went straight to neurosurgeon. Like I'm just going to be a neurosurgeon. Well, I think at age two, my parents like to give me hell about this sometime. I think at like age two, I told them that I wanted to be a dinosaur. So if anything, <laughs> this was this was a less lofty goal than the original one. <laughs> I mean, dinosaur is respectable if you could figure out yeah. how to make that happen. <laughs> so you go down this neurosurgeon path. Did you ever actually apply to or go to med school at all? Or did you figure out way before then that this wasn't going to happen for you? Yeah, no, fortunately, I, I made the, the detour earlier. So I, I was studying biochemistry in college, and I got a couple years into that. And about the same time, uh, when I was in college, I got involved with a very early stage startup, and it just took off. And I got to be kind of on the ground floor, I was involved, it was just a handful of people at the time. And by the time I graduated college, you know, it was it was 1000s of people all across the country. And I got to be, I got to see that, you know, I wasn't like, one of the founding team members or whatever. I was, you know, this, this like low man on the totem pole, like, uh, but I was still involved. And that was a, 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 just a world changing experience for me because it opened my eyes to all these other things out there. And so naturally, instead of like, I'm going to go work in startups or I'm going to go start my own thing. And st instead of that, naturally my next step was if not medical school, I'm going to go to law school. For me, I still, it took several more years for me to, to figure out that like prestige seeking wasn't the best way to find happiness. Yeah. At least you figured it out before you actually graduated from law school. I did not have the same realization until well after law school and bar passage. Um, so that would have been amazing. What did your family think? Like they had to be all psyched up. We're going to have a neurosurgeon in the family. And then all of a sudden you're like, I'm going to do marketing. Well, honestly, those years from like 17 through probably 20 early, maybe even mid twenties, those were some rocky years with between my, my parents and I in particular. Um, I remember I was probably 17, 18 at the time when I got my admissions packet from Harvard. And, and John Hopkins, those were the two places, like everybody knows them, they're prestigious. Like if, if, if I go there, every, you know, it's just going to be the most amazing thing. And I remember getting the Harvard admission packet and looking at the sticker price. <laughs> and I was just like, there's no way I can afford this. There's no way my parents could ever afford this. And like, I did great. I had great grades, you know, like crushed ACTs and SATs and had amazing scholarships almost everywhere that I was looking. But just that price alone was like, I can't justify that something about that isn't right. And I think also behind that was just this fear. I, I think that I was still internally, I, I knew that I wasn't 100% committed to this thing, even if I hadn't admitted it to myself, I definitely hadn't told anybody else. And so that was weighing on me as I was making those decisions. And I remember right before I graduated high school, I had several different options. 
I had the option to, at, at several options, go play baseball in college. I had several great offers to different colleges. One of them was Baylor to go study. They had a neuro, neuroscience program. Um, and, and then I had, you know, I was, I was very involved in FFA, if you know that, what that was. Yeah. And, and, and like, you know, I was, I was, I was very long on, you know, continuing to pursue that after high school. And my parents and I were just, we were kind of butting heads about what was the best path for me. But ultimately, I chose to kind of pursue FFA. I was elected to state office in Oklahoma. Um, I probably made the wrong choice in retrospect because that (laughs) ended up blowing up in my face completely. But over the next handful of years, this wasn't really until I got out of college. I think my my parents and I came to terms that it's like the best thing for me to be doing is the stuff that makes me happy, that I'm excited about and where I'm feeling challenged. And I think the hurdle for me was figuring out that the best way to achieve those things is not by chasing after the most prestigious founding thing that's, you know, that that's impressive to everybody else. So we're on great terms now, but it definitely took, I was, I was, I was a huge pain in the ass for a handful of years, I'm sure. (laughs) I feel like we all were. And like, so I grew up in a small town in Southern Idaho. So FFA was like the jam. Like that's, that's what you did. Right. And you had a really cool Facebook post about peer pressure. And I always make these same related comments. Like you hear all these peer pressure about the things that we're supposed to be doing. My peer pressure growing up wasn't go out and drink, go out and get high. It was go to church, join FFA, (laughs) go to college. Like it's a different idea of peer pressure. And I love the way that you put that into words. Like why are we talking about all this bad stuff that we're, our kids are pressured to do and we're not paying attention to the peer pressure that actually affects their life. Yeah. And honestly, I, I think this is something I wrestled with for a long time. And I know there are still parts of my life where I, ca- I have tendencies still that, that are, you know, carry over from years and years and years of, of the way we keep score in school. And, and, you know, when you're even, even the way we keep score out of school in your career, you know, who makes the most money, who drives the best car, who has the biggest house, who's got the happiest family on Instagram, like the way we <laughs> keep score pressure it creates can be so debilitating. Because if we're not succeeding according to everybody else's metrics, you can fool yourself as much as you want to saying, I don't care what other people think. But at the end of the day, it's very difficult to succeed according to the metrics that are, that are commonplace. And that's, that's a tough thing. Yeah, I 100% agree. And the other thing too, and this is something that I've recently been talking about a lot, is the idea that we're not really forced to talk about what our backup plan is going to be if this doesn't work out, right? Like we're... we're taught that if you do this and you excel, that this is going to be your outcome and it's going to be great and you're going to be happy. And that's just not the way that life works out. Like not everybody who graduates from law school gets their dream job. Not everybody that, you know, graduates from med school even works as a doctor, right? So what, what are you trying to accomplish? What are you trying to fill? What's going to make you happy? And I really resonate with what you talked about as far as finding the things that you don't want to do and staying away from those because I was that kid that knew I wanted to be successful and was very high achieving, but couldn't really put a pinpoint on what it was I wanted to do. I found law school way later in life, but it was always that idea of success. And there's a lot less things that I hate than there are that I like. There's a lot of ways I could be happy, but there's only a few ways that I'm miserable. And we don't switch that very often. You know, we don't say, what don't you want to do enough? 
Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll be completely honest. I did not set out with that philosophy in mind. I mean, I, I had to learn that. And I, I think that I learned it as I got older and I had more, you know, more experience and I, and I had mentors who were very, very pivotal and in, in challenging me to get outside of my comfort zone and go do things that were a little bit scary and, and maybe were a little bit off the beaten path. And I think that as I looked back on my life, in particular, those years from like age 18 through 25, I was kind of surprised and, and shocked to see that there were a lot of experiments that I had, had that I had abandoned, for lack of a better term, where it was like, I thought I wanted to do this. I, so I tried it, tried the lowest fidelity, cheapest, easiest way to you know do this. Like, for instance, I worked in financial services for a while, uh, you know, there for, there for like all of like 60 days. So I was like, Hey, maybe I'll be a stockbroker. And that was like, Nope, hate this. So cross that off the list. Um, you know, I, I, I'd still wanted to go to law school uh, when I was out of college and, you know, I was working toward that. I went and worked for a, a law firm for, you know, six, six or so months. It was not for me. It was not for me. I, I'm sure that you've heard this and you probably experienced this too, that Every smart kid that's good at arguing is, you know, why aren't you a lawyer? There's this idea that like law is what you see on TV. You're in, you know, you're in court, you're defending uh, criminals. You're, you're like always, you know, you're in the mix of it. And, and that's not what it was like. And, and, and it wasn't just that it was the lifestyle that I witnessed where it's like, that's not really what I want to do. I, I have all these other things that excite me and I don't really know exactly what I want yet. So like, it's kind of difficult to justify over committing to one's particular path. Yeah, I like that a lot. And it's interesting that you say that because when I went to law school and graduated, like I thought the same thing. I was going to be in a courtroom all the time. I wanted to be a public defender and I got that life. I, and I hated it. And so now like I have my law practice and I'm doing something that I absolutely love, but it is nothing related to what I thought I'd actually be doing. And when you talk about what, what I found in particular is that so many times we get this shiny object syndrome where we think we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, what we're meant to do, right? I hate that word. Um, <laughs> what we're meant to be doing. And then we find something we're like, but I really like doing that too. Maybe that's what I'm supposed to be doing. It's like we're taught our entire life that we have to pick a thing. And that becomes and defines us rather than saying, okay, scratch these things off the list. These are the things you like to do. Now figure out what you want your life to look like. Yeah, honestly, the more that I've reflected on it, the more I, I talk about this and the more I work with young people who are trying to figure this out, I, I've honestly likened it more to this, to, to a Venn diagram than this, this linear path that, you know, I think school gives us this mindset that it's, it's a very linear path. The steps all make sense. They're all sequential and in order down, you know, toward one end goal. And now that I think about it, like, even looking back at my own career, on a linear path, my path was like two steps forward, five steps back, one step down, like all this crazy thing. And now, you know, now looking at the different skills and the different types of roles and different types of work, there's this beautiful Venn diagram that started to take place in my life of like, hey, there was some marketing here, there was writing here, there was sales here, there was customer service here, operation. There were all these different things that started to emerge of, of things that I enjoyed things that I was good at and things that other people valued. And that's where I was like, Whoa, I've, I've got this sweet spot opportunity to build a life and career around. But that, you know, that I was in my late twenties before I even started to, to think about it that way. Um, but, but that was a dramatic shift instead of thinking about 
you know, what do I want to be for the rest of my life? Which that is, that is serious pressure to put on somebody. Dude, it's serious pressure to even put on an adult. I mean, I'm 37 and I don't even want to commit to one thing for the rest of my life. Like I'm thinking, what am I going to be doing in the next like two years? Like, yeah. And it's crazy to say that. And I think that that at some point in time is where that pressure gets lifted off of you, right? Like it's, there's so much pressure to be like, I'm going to commit to this for the rest of my life. And when you kind of take that off and say, let's just make it through the next few days and make sure that I'm still healthy, then all of a sudden you can actually like figure out what direction you want to go. Definitely. So you wrote this book, um, Don't Do Stuff You Hate, which ties in to everything that we're talking about now. How did that come about? Like, how did that actually start? Actually, I didn't set out to, to write a book at all. I've got a, a whole closet full of notebooks. I, I was the kid who was writing early in junior high. Like I have dozens of journals I've always written. And that was always a thing for me. And, you know, I met Isaac Morehouse, who I co- co-authored the book with. Um, you know, he was kind of the one who I like to say saved my life a little bit. He challenged me to, to don't go to law school. Let me introduce you, you know, to some cool people. And, and see if I can make some connections that help you get a little bit closer to whatever it is you're searching for. And, and I made that leap. And, you know, a, a, a few months after I made that leap, I was working at an early stage startup. I was, I was still trying to trying stuff. I was trying as much stuff as possible. And I'd been writing a lot. When I had first gone down that path. I did a 30 day blogging challenge. And I, I, I think I published something like 38,000 words in 30 days. Like I was writing a ton and, you know, people were taking notice that, I was doing this thing. I wasn't just saying that I wanted to be a writer anymore. I was putting it out in the real world. I was taking bets and, you know, Isaac and I became close friends and he was very familiar with my story of kind of continuously moving away from things that I didn't like. And <laughs> he, he reached out to me. He's like, Hey, I'm about, I'm about to write this, this new book. And, you know, I, I think that it's going to resonate with you. Would, would you mind, you know, would you want to be the editor of it? I'd love your insight on this and, you know, help me put this together. And so I was like, absolutely. Hell yeah. You know, let's, let's do this. And I remember he sent me like five or six years worth of blog posts. And, and this guy's a prolific content creator, like, you know, writes almost every day. So this was hundreds and hundreds of blog posts. And I sent him back a spreadsheet in like 72 hours that was color coded and it was every <laughs> blog post, how many words it was, what was the topic. And like, this is what I think we should build the book around. Here's how I think we should set it up. And he's like, we, you know what, we should co-author this. He's like, you have all these ideas and all this stuff that you want to contribute. Let's just do it. And so it, it evolved from getting invited to participate in someone else's project into getting to be a, a very, you know, core part of the project and, and getting to put my name on, on my first book, which was, was something that I may not have done for many more years had somebody not you know, made it a little bit easier for me, but it was an awesome experience. And, you know, it was one of the, one of the most challenging things I'd done up to date at that point in my life, which was, was awesome. And, you know, it's, it's, it's been a fun thing to, it's been a fun thing to reflect back on and say, yeah, I did that. I did that. I, I can do it again if I, if, and when I'm ready to do it. So. Yeah. And that's really cool to see that that opportunity just kind of opened up for you. Um, because otherwise you could be like me and still on the first chapter of your book, like five years later, when you have like <laughs> seven sentences because nobody's forcing you to do it, right? Like it gets put on no. the back burner. So that's really cool that that opened up and that you took that opportunity. The title of the book is, I think, pretty self-sufficient. Don't do stuff that you hate. We've talked a lot about finding your path by eliminating 
um, the things that you don't like. And I would assume that's the premise of the book. Is there other, another large part to it or is that basically the idea of the book? I, I think, I mean, that's, that's the main idea of the book. And I would say we probably beat a dead horse a little bit with, with going into all the different ways so many people continue to do things they, they, they hate and, and, you know, tell themselves these lies that, well, that's, that's easy for you to say, but I can't because of my XYZ circumstance. And yeah. I think that, you know, what it all boils down to is we all have so much more freedom and power to design the life that we want than, than many times we're willing to admit and be honest with ourselves, you know, and it's just a matter of getting straight and honest with yourself about what your priorities are, because that's, that seems to be the more common thing that I find when I'm, you know, when I'm talking to people, it's like, this is what I want, but this is how I live. And it's like, no, if, if that's what you want, your priorities would reflect that. And, and the fact of the matter, I think the same thing applies when you're trying to think about eliminating the things that you don't want in your life as a, as a way to, to achieve a better lifestyle. Like there's so many different applications of that. If you want to be more fit, you have to exercise. You can't just not exercise. If you want to drink less alcohol, you need to stop, you know, like stop doing that thing. But if that's a priority for you, you know, get real about the behaviors that help you get closer to that. You have to stop doing the things that, that you don't want in your life. And I think that a lot of people just, you know, they, they don't accept that personal power that they have to, to be the influencer over, over where their life's at. So yeah, I definitely agree. And I'm going to have to check out the book. I would encourage anybody else to too, because it sounds pretty freaking amazing. As far as what you're doing now with Praxis, is that kind of how you came into this? Because I know that you guys do a lot of coaching or boot camps around figuring out what your passion is or what you want to do with your life. Were those two related together or did one come before the other? Yeah, so the book came... I, I actually went through Praxis, um, you know, about the same time that I, I said no to law school. Um, that's how I met Isaac Morehouse. And, you know, several months after that, while I was in the program, that's when, and that's when we uh, wrote and published the book. But it was several years, several years later. Um, you know, I, I've joined the Praxis team at the end of 2018 to help launch Crash, which was an online platform for, for people on the job hunt who want to build a better portfolio. Before that, you know, this is about the time that I was writing the book for, you know, for just, just around three years, I was working at a fast growing startup. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's been kind of a continuous evolution, but, uh, you know, um, I, I'm back on the Praxis team. Um, you know, that's my full focus now. I love what we do. We get to work with young people who are trying to figure it out. You know, many of the people that we work with, they're, they're just out of high school or they, they opt out, they decide not to go to college or they drop out of college or they, they graduated from college. They're a couple of years out. They still don't know really what it is they want. We help them figure out where their skills are valuable in the real world. We help train them, help them build the skills that they need to succeed. And then we help them land that first career job. And, and the types of companies that they, they work with are, are growing startups. So it also offers just awesome upside really early in your career. Kind of like what we would expect college to do for us. And then we get out and it doesn't quite do that. So that sounds <laughs> yeah. like a fantastic um, idea that people should actually listen to. Yeah, it's, it's definitely rewarding. That's awesome. So you also have this really cool podcast, um, Self-Directed. Where did that idea come from and, and how did, how's that launch gone for you? Yeah. So I feel like the more we talk, the more, more of these, these ideas continue to overlap. The idea of Self-Directed is, is something that 
you know, I've been thinking about for, for many years of my own life, but also, you know, my, my, uh, our, our CEO, Cameron Sorsby, who's a very close friend and, and business partner of mine, like we've been talking about like, you know, what, what is the most important element of, you know, what we believe as a company and just personally. And it's this idea that you don't have to follow in line. You don't have to do the path that everybody else says you, you, you have to do. You don't have to follow the crowd. You can go out and pave your own way. You can, you know, if you don't want to go to college, you can't afford college. You can create your own education. It, you know, you can create your own career. You have the power to use your money and spend your money how you want. You get to choose where you live. You get to choose, you know, what friendships and relationships you have. You get to choose what you do for work. You get to choose, you know, what you do for your health and fitness and exercise. Like you have power over your life, but you have to take control of that. And it's this idea of like, being very intentional and self-directed about how you structure your life. And there's so many cool angles that we can take on that. And I'm, I'm really excited that we, we just launched it. It's off the ground and rolling and we've got a lot of, a lot of fun stuff coming up. So that's super awesome. And I, I love what you guys are doing with that because whenever I'm asked by anybody, what's the number one tip that you could give somebody for living a better life or having a better business, my answer is always exactly what you just said. Take 100% responsibility for everything that's going on in your life. No matter what it is, you have control over it. Like don't, don't give that power to anybody else. That's the only thing that you're guaranteed to have in life is the power over what you do with it. And so the fact that you guys are taking that to a whole new level and talking about everything all the way down to each habit that you create, I think is going to change a lot of people's mindset. Yeah. And the corollary to that is, is similar to the, the philosophy of don't do stuff you hate. Don't, don't do stuff you hate suggests is, um, you know, a better way to think about your life is to, to focus on the stuff you don't want in it and run away from that. And the, the, the same tenets apply to this idea of self-directed as I think there's this strong temptation and tendency in the world we live in to focus on all the things that are outside of our control than to just reflect and be honest about the things we have agency over. And it's so much more empowering when you, you stop focusing on, you know, what's on the news and what's happening in the stock market and all these things that you can't, you have no control over. Stop worrying about those. Focus on the things that you can control and double down on those. Make sure those are what you want and, you know, everything else will take place. Everything will fall suit from there. I love it. So your podcast available on all podcasting platforms. Is that right? That's right. And where's the best place for people to track down your book if they want to check it out? Best place is on Amazon. Perfect. As far as your contact information, and I love to kind of do this in the middle just so that people that are hearing your story have it. What's the best way for people to reach out to you if they want to connect? Yeah, best two ways to reach me are by email, mitchell at discoverpraxis.com or, or on Twitter at Mitchell underscore Earl. Love it. All right, let's go ahead and switch gears just a little bit. We've talked about this, I think, a ton. It's kind of been interweaved throughout our conversation, but I always like to ask every single guest, what is your current definition of success? How do you define that for yourself? Yeah, that's, that's a fun question. I think that at the highest level, if I had to boil it down, it's the freedom to live life on my own terms. And, and that transcends kind of everything from, you know, my personal finances to, to what I do for work, the freedom and flexibility to work on problems that are important to me. Um, you know, the flexibility to spend time with my family and, and invest in the relationships, the, the resources, you know, to, to build the resources to invest back in businesses and people that are important to me. And like all of those things all kind of stem from, 
you know, just, just the freedom to live life on my own terms, which is, you know, if you haven't, you haven't caught on yet, it seems to be a big theme of my life. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I love it. Based upon the way that our conversation went in the beginning, I would imagine that that was not always your definition of success. Has that changed for you throughout your life? Yeah, a- absolutely. I think that, you know, in many ways, I, I, I was kind of a prisoner to expectations of other people. And I, and I, I didn't, I didn't admit that to myself for, for years. And it's probably been, you know, really, you know, over the past five years or so that, you know, by actually going out and taking leaps and doing things that, that, that disappointed people or upset people or people, you know, kind of shocked them. And, you know, that a, a series of that over and over and over in my life, I think that there were some, you know, kind of big failures in my life, you know, around the you know, college age that also made it a little bit easier. Every time I had kind of a big failure, it, it, in many ways it, it raised the stakes, but it also lowered the stakes. Like I, I felt a little bit more free because I'd already disappointed people. So <laughs> I think that, <laughs> I think that, that all of those things kind of in, in conjunction over, over time allowed me to break free from worrying about what other people wanted and reprioritize what I wanted and, and, you know, what I didn't want as well. Yeah. I love that you mentioned that because this is why I'm such a big proponent of people getting out of their comfort zone so much is because we have this story in our head, whatever, it, whatever we've created for ourselves that tells us like how the world is going to end. If we disappoint somebody or if we fail at something or if we try something and it goes horribly wrong, like how the world's going to end. And every time we realize that the world keeps spinning, it gets yeah. easier and easier to do that kind of stuff. Yeah, 100%. That's, that's exactly what happened for me. It's like, you know, if this is rock bottom, you know, like <laughs> it's not really that bad. It's, it sucks. But like, you know, on, on, on every point where I felt like I was a complete failure and everything blew up in my face, like I've rebuilt from there. And every time that happened, I gained even more confidence that, whatever happens down the road, I'm going to be okay. I can figure it out. I can adapt and I can, I can start over if I have to. Um, that doesn't mean, you know, that's not a sales pitch to go out and actively seek out failure. But, you know, I, I think that, that once you realize it's not as bad as you have built up in your mind, it, it becomes a lot more manageable. Yeah, definitely agree. Don't, um, well, I'm in Vegas, so I feel like failure when Vegas is open, <laughs> like we're in the middle of Corona land right now. So like there's casinos, they're not taking anybody's money, but failure is just a way of life here in Vegas. You go to the strip, you lose it all. That's not the way that we would suggest doing this, but, yeah. um, so let's talk about fulfillment for just a minute. One of the things that was unintended from this podcast was as I started talking to people about success, I realized that like fulfillment is kind of this thing that like goes along with success, but nobody really can define. Like you talk about one or the other. So for you, how do they relate? Does success come first followed by fulfillment or is it the other way around? I I think that it depends on how you keep score. And, and what I mean by that is I think there are like, there are extrinsic and there are intrinsic factors. There, there are the extrinsic ways we keep score, which I talked a little bit about earlier. There's the, you know, the money, the status, the, you know, the car you drive, the, you know, where you work, all those things that everybody else can see. And that's, that's one dimension of success, you know, what other people can see and, and what they think about us. And then there's the other often overlooked way scarier thing is like, what do we, what do we think about ourselves when we look in the mirror? you know, am I a success? Do I, do I consider myself success? Am I, am I happy with myself? Am I proud of myself? Like that intrinsic, those intrinsic factors 
in my own life, I think that anytime I have moved away from, from measuring and determining my success on along those dimensions, that's where I've been at the peak of my unhappiness, where I've been measuring with somebody else's yardstick. That's where I'm like, no, I'm unhappy. And, and so when you ask, you know, what one matter, which matters more, I honestly, I'll, I'll tell you intrinsic success. I, I firmly believe matters far more. And I honestly think that, that, that fulfillment component, I really don't think you can achieve success by your own definitions until you check that box. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I love the way that you pointed out the external versus the internal. Um, because we, so many times, like that whole mirror that you just created, so many times we avoid that. And we spend so much time asking, you know, do other people think that we're successful? And then you end up in a situation where you're completely miserable. And I don't care whether it takes you um, a couple of years to get there or whether it takes you 15, 20 years to get there. It's going to happen at some point in time. You're going to have that moment where you're like, I have been living somebody else's life. And that moment sucks. So it's better to figure it out sooner. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. I've been there and I'm, I'm glad that I'm not there anymore. <laughs> you and me both for sure. And, and I want to point out as well. Um, and I think that your story highlights this, but it's a constant evolving conversation, right? Like we don't get to say, okay, I'm successful. I hit it. Now you're just there forever. Like you constantly have to have this conversation with yourself and figure out whether you're still going in the direction you want to go. Yeah. Yeah. There's, that that's why I think the intrinsic measures matter so much more because you know the extrinsic thing is is more of a destination you know the intrinsic is more of a journey like to be cliche and and everything but like you can be you can be successful and fulfilled while you're still on the the way to whatever it is you're trying to go you can you can look at yourself and be satisfied that I am the best version of who I want to be I am I'm doing the things that I want to I want to be doing I am the person I want to be becoming like you can do those things, even if you haven't, you know, achieved your, your bucket list goals. And I think that that's another thing that it's, it's, you know, the way we keep scoring life kind of deceives us that that's even a possibility. Yeah. I was just thinking as you were talking about that, about like, if you're thinking of somebody in a desert and they, you see the mirage, right. Of this place where there's water. And that's kind of like that destination of our success. Like we'll be happy when we get to that point and then you get there and it's never really there. And it keeps moving further, further away. So when people talk about this destination that they want to go to, I think that's such a dangerous conversation to have to talk about a destination. Yeah. The mirage is an excellent metaphor. That's that, that, encapsulates it perfectly. <laughs> um, we talked about fear a little bit um, I, and we talked about comfort zones, but I always like to ask people for you personally, because no matter how big your comfort zone gets, there's always something you're doing that's scaring you if you're actually living your life to the fullest. How do you handle that for yourself? How do you constantly remind yourself to push through that fear? Man, that's, that's a fantastic and, and, and tough question. Honestly, I, I, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't afraid of things still, or if I didn't still wrestle with fear and anxiety and all the pressures of, you know, figuring life out still, I think the, you know, the most ever present source of that anxiety and fear is just, you know, managing a business. You want to be successful. You know, what, what we're doing is something that I, I am, I am intensely passionate about 
about. And I think that, you know, in particular for somebody who, you know, was, was cultivated in a school setting where it was like, I have to succeed. I have to be the best. And you begin to develop this tendency to form your identity based off the things you're involved in. And when I think about myself in the context as, as a business owner and somebody who's invested in our business's success, there's, there's a tendency to let my identity be caught up in our business, business success and performance. And that's a, that creates a lot of anxiety. You know, when you have an off week or an off month or, you know, whatever the case, it's like, man, I am personally a failure or I could, I should be doing better. And that's a tough thing to wrestle with. And, and to be honest, like I'm thrilled that that's the problem I'm wrestling with now. Like I, I chose this and I knew that that sort of problem would be something that forced me to level up my game as a, as a person and a professional and in my career. That's, that's a big one. Um, I think that the, you know, that along with other anxieties in my life, I think that, you know, I, I try my best to lean into them. And I try, I try to manage my emotions around those. And one of the, one of the things that I use is just like, let me imagine in the worst case scenario, I have, I have, I'm terrible about following that rabbit all the way to the end of the trail about (laughs) what's the absolute worst thing that could happen. I like to call it doing a personal risk audit. Like what's the absolute worst thing? Let me audit my life and just think about like, if everything went wrong, where would I be? And honestly, that allows me to establish a floor and get a little bit comfortable with, with how, how terrible things could be. And usually <laughs> as you start to, to imagine that future, it, it becomes pretty apparent that it's like, you know what, I'd, I'd, I'd still survive. I'd still be able to make it. And it wouldn't be, it's not ideal, but like I could figure it out. Okay, now that I've figured that out, what's the next worst case scenario? Like the least you know, the level up from that, if everything doesn't quite go wrong, but most everything goes wrong, what's, you know, how can I manage to make it not go all the way bad and just kind of work backwards from the worst case scenario. That brings me a lot of comfort. You know, it doesn't make the anxiety disappear. It doesn't make, you know, it doesn't, that uncertainty never disappears, but it becomes a little bit easier to walk around and, and manage and cope you know, that, that the universe isn't conspiring against you. The world's not falling apart. We're going to make it through this. Yeah. I love that so much. So funny story for you, because you mentioned this, um, what's the very worst thing that could happen. And when I started to feel like I wanted to share my story, the first blog post I ever wrote was called, but did you die? And it was on that exact (laughs) thing. Like no matter what this worst case scenario is, like you're still going to be breathing and that's really all that matters. Um, Sometimes it doesn't feel like it, but yeah, especially when I was training for obstacle course races, like people would ask me, what's the worst thing that's going to happen, but did you die? And I'm like, yes, that's, that's the way I live my life. Like I'm not dead. it's okay. I hope that's going to be the title of your book once you publish it. You know, there's so many, it should be, it should be. Okay. I keep going back and forth between a few things, but that's actually a really good, a really good that option. That should be on the, li- the list. Definitely. That's on the list title. for sure. I appreciate yeah. that. All right. So let's go ahead and do a quick random round. If you're okay with that, okay. let everybody get to know you a little bit, get into your head a little scary places to be. <laughs> what profession other than your own do you think would be fun to attempt? 
Oh man, this is an easy one for me because I, I almost set out on this journey a, a while back. Like I, I am a wine enthusiast. I, I love it. I love learning about it, everything about it. And, you know, I, I had this full business plan I'd created and, you know, about you know, launching a wine business. And I think that, you know, if I could do anything else, right, the resources where I, I, I was comfortable, if, you know, that, that I, I didn't have to make money, I didn't have that pressure anymore. I think that either, you know, working to become a sommelier or starting a business in the wine industry are thing that would just be the most fun thing. Like I could do that all day, every day, just learn about wine. And that's, that's an easy one. That's such an interesting answer coming from an Oklahoma boy. That's not what I would have <laughs> expected. You know, somebody from the FFA from the Midwest to be like, I, w- I want to work with wine. Well, yeah, but you know, and then the, the fallback fallback plan is, you know, to go raise cattle, of course. <laughs> of course. I think that's everybody's plan. Like, I, I don't yeah. know. I have this idea that I would love to live on a ranch and raise cattle, but I don't want to do the work that's required to raise cattle. Like, that's hard work, man. Um, if you could time travel, where would you go and why? I, that's another easy one. I think I, I would go back to 1950s Madison Avenue admin, like go work in advertising and be around that. I think that some of the, some of the brightest minds in marketing and advertising and sales like came from that era. And, you know, whether, you know, moral judgments aside from everybody listening, like, there was just magic happening at that point in time. It was an awesome era of history. It was like peak New York City. Like there's just so much awesome stuff going on at that time. And, you know, there are a handful of, of my favorite books written from, you know, that era and that industry. And I think that it'd be awesome to go be on the ground floor and learn from those people. I love it. Um, what personality trait or skill or quality, whichever one you want to pick, has been most helpful to you throughout your life? Most helpful. I, I, that's a, that's a tough one. Uh, that's a tough one for me because, you know, it's probably the things that have gotten me into the most trouble that have been most helpful, like, because <laughs> that's what's led to the most interesting experiences. But I think that if I'm going to be real, it's the ability to, to think longer term and like to be very strategic and, and, and deliberate about things. And as much of a hindrance as that has been to me many times because it's, it's given me this like paralysis from analysis where it's like, he seems to be somebody who takes way too long to make really long decisions. It's also been something that I think has, as I've gotten more comfortable with who I am and what I'm doing, it's allowed me to, to be a little bit more deliberate in planning and, and making sure everything's taken care of and that I'm in a good spot and I'm moving forward. Love it. When you're consuming content, do you prefer reading books or listening to audiobooks? Oh man, I've got to have a physical copy in my hands. I, I listen to audiobooks voraciously when I'm running or at the gym or on, on road trips. But if there's a book that I like, I have a copy of it. I maybe have an audiobook of it. I might have multiple copies of it, but I love to dog ear pages. I love to scribble in them. I, I take notes and reread them. Like there's just nothing, nothing compares to the physical copy. Agreed. Um, what book do you think you've recommended to other people the most? Oh, that's, that's another one. So, you know, second to my book, don't do stuff you hate, you know, which is such a vanity and like weird thing to say is I'd recommend my book. To, <laughs> I give my book away to people is, you know, the other one is, is how to find fulfilling work by Roman Kirstnerak, which has been such an awesome, I, I reread that every handful of years. And I, I, I've given that book easily 
given it away more, more times than not. I think it's just such a great, great book. Love it. Love it. And you can always plug yours. There's nothing vain about plugging your book. Like <laughs> there's blood, sweat and tears that went into writing that thing, man. Plug I, away. Yeah. But, but, but sending it off as a gift is like, I don't want to <laughs> come off as sin sincere. Hey, thank you. I'm so wise. You should read my book. Yes, I try not to do that. Yes, I try not true. to do that. True. Um, all right. So last question. I'm a music nerd. So for my own personal enjoyment, I have to find out what your pump up song is. Motivation song for me probably till I collapse by Eminem. I think anytime that I'm like, need a little kick in the ass, that's a song that I'll flip on. And that's like, that gets me in the zone. It's just like a little bit of a chip on the shoulder song like that, that resonates with me. Yeah. Chip on the shoulder basically describes Eminem's entire musical career. Um, (laughs) And you'd be shocked. Well, maybe you wouldn't be shocked. Um, How many people, when I ask that question, give me an Eminem song? It's actually, it's pretty cool. So um, I was talking to somebody about his career because I'm a huge Eminem fan. And I'm like, I'm a huge fan of old Eminem and new Eminem, but he had that really weird psycho like phase in the middle. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? Yeah, it would have been really weird if I said I listened to Deer Stand to get motivated or something. Yeah, like <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. And I think that you've given so much value and I just love your message. Um, one more time for anybody who wants to connect with you, where is the best place for them to track you down? Yeah, feel free to shoot me an email, Mitchell at discoverpraxis.com or check me out on Twitter at Mitchell underscore Earl. Awesome. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the show. I hope that something that was said resonated with you or provided value to you in one way or another. I'd love to hear more about your thoughts on the show. You can reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram at Amber Furman. Also, I've created a Facebook community for followers of the show to interact with me and other members of the community. You can find that on Facebook at More Than Corporate. So go ahead and join that group if you'd like to stay up to date on podcast happenings and meet some really cool people. Again, thanks so much for tuning in.